Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Well, I'm going to teach you today about something simply called this, a tale of three temples. And right now, if you know about anything going on in the news with Israel, whoa, it's a wild time over in the Middle East right now for sure. With the war going on against Hamas, you got the Jews clamoring to want to build the temple. The Muslims say, you can't get on the Temple Mount. We won't allow them to be there. So you got this conflict going on here, and they're wanting to build that next temple. You've got all this thing happening here. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the background of these temples and a little bit about the background of what this means for me and you today, and I hope it'll be helpful for you. Imagine that you were given an assignment to produce a documentary film. Sometimes I like to watch documentary films. I really enjoy that. And here's what the film is called. It's called God Through the Ages. So if that's the film we're going to make, then how are we going to do this since the main character is invisible? I don't think anybody woke up today and saw God. He's invisible to us. He's with us in spirit, but we don't see him. Jesus is long gone from planet Earth, so we don't see him in the flesh as a person. So that's our main character. So how are we going to know to make this documentary? All we can do is study the Bible to see where these scenes are, where God is active and amazing throughout history. So let's start in the 14th century B.C. We're going to go all the way back to Mount Sinai. And when we get to Mount Sinai, we find Moses there on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments of God. All the people were down in the valley below, and they were frightened because up on that mountain, here's what they heard. They heard thunder and rumbling, rumbling, and they saw smoke, and they saw lightning, and they realized that our guy is up there. God's not here with us. God's up there on that mountain, and he's meeting with our leader. And if you were in that crowd, you would have been probably scared of what was happening and going on. And that's where God lives. People would say, boom, we heard it. Let's go to the second scene. This will be in A.D. 1 in the first century. In the flat, broad horizons of Israel, you talk to a woman that's in a desert. And she's in that area, and she's saying, God, I'm still trying to figure you out myself. His name is Jesus. He's been here with us, and he claims to be our Messiah. I mean, in the flesh. I was there when he fed the 5,000. I actually tasted the fish. And I saw how it was multiplied, and I'm starting to believe that this man really has been sent by God for our people. I saw him with my own eyes. Later, I saw him heal a blind man, and I believe he is our Messiah. And that would be the second scene in our movie. Scene three will be today. I ask you this question. What is God like today? Here in our city, here in this church, here in this moment. What is he like today? And the answer is this. We're just average, ordinary people. And God, Jesus Christ, God in Jesus was one thing, but God in me, that's another thing. But the truth is, yeah, it's true. Now let's go back and look at a timeline of kind of how the Bible kind of all fits together And it kind of goes together like this. If you were to read your Bible, about the first 900 pages is called the Old Testament, 39 chapters. About 100 pages make up the 27 chapters of the New Testament. 
If you put them all on a timeline going across, it would look something like this. In the Old Testament, that's where the creation of everything took place in the world. And then the patriarchs came along, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, these four men that God called. And then there was the exodus that took place, and they got put into slavery in Egypt. Do you remember that? And they were conquered. And then in the conquest is Joshua coming along and leading the people out and back into the promised land. And then there's a time of judges. These were the leaders to lead the people once they arrived back. Well, they said, that's not good enough. We want a king. So you have a time of kings. You have three kings in the United Kingdom. Each king lasted about 40 years. They were Saul, Saul and then David and Solomon. And then the kingdom splits into two. Now it's a divided kingdom. But in the north, Israel, and in the south, Judah. And that's what happened in the kingdoms. And so they got captured by the Babylonians. They went off into exile. They were there for many years, for 70 years. And then they were, the, when something happened, the Persians captured the Babylonians and let them go back. So they went back to the land. After they get back into the land, there's 400 years in between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New. And we call them 400 years of silence. That's because that means no, no book of the Bible was being written, no prophets were speaking and it being recorded for us to have today, and it was almost like God had forgotten his people 400 years of this. And that, well, that's what was going on in the story until finally the Bible says in the fullness of time. God's time is not your time, and it's not my time. My time is now. I want things now. That's my time. Microwave. Faster. Can't the microwave go faster? I put add one minute. It seems like 10 minutes to me. Come on. Let's get that stuff heated. I'm a now person. And so that's what happens here in the gospel. God sent his son, Jesus, and he was here. And that's the four stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or autobiography stories of from different perspectives of how Jesus lived and what he did and how he said it and how he did his work. And then after that, you find that he died on the cross finally. And then after that, he ascended. And now we're called the body of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. That we are all called this strange expression now, the body of Christ. An amazing thing. And he wrote this letter. And he wrote the personal letters to people in the churches, like to the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews and the slaves and the men and the women and children and things like that. And these epistles are amazing and they're very, very diverse. And each letter assumes we really do have a brand new identity and it's that, the body of Christ. So you can put that one up now, the body of Christ. Oh, there we go, a different one. Okay, and then basically we're together in Christ. And we have the body of Christ and we're all a part of this. That means all the churches teaching the truth of Jesus all over the world, are related to each other. And you've got brothers and sisters in places. That's why it's fun when you do certain things and you run into somebody else that goes to a different church. And all of a sudden, you just feel a strange connection, like, I want to hug you. I want to get to know you more. I want to hear your story. Tell me about your church. This happened to us yesterday. Becky and I were playing pickleball. It's a sport that we love, that we both get to do together. We were playing pickleball, and at the end, I told the people who I was, say, hey, I'm the company pastor at Jeff Lynch Appliance Store. And they said, hey, we go to X Church here in Simpsonville. Hey, and I leave the music in the church. All of a sudden, I felt, a, I felt close to these people, all of a sudden, because of their Christian connection to me. And that's the beautiful thing about being related to each other in what we call the body of Christ. And it's an amazing thing that we get to do this. That means that the Holy Spirit now lives in us and lives his life out through us. 
when we touch other people. Now, I want us to look today at the illustration of what I call three types of temples found in the Bible, because there were three of them. And I'm going to show you what they were like, but we're going to use that as simply one of the type of temples we're talking about today in our tale of three temples. So the first thing that took place in the tale of three temples is the actual physical building that where God dwelt with his chosen people. And first Kings describes how it was all done. And it was done by a man named Solomon who built this incredible temple that was there. And it was pure gold, covered in pure gold, took seven years to build it. So it was this amazing structure. Solomon was the third king in the United Kingdom, lasting about 120 years. And then, of course, the kingdom divided. I told you about that. And that lasted about 400 years. And when this kingdom was divided, it was divided into the north, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Now, I, I have taught for about 40 years with a group called Walk Through the Bible. Walk Through the Bible teaches you in a, about two and a half hours a general overview of the entire Old Testament. And it does the same thing in the New Testament. So you can get kind of an idea in your mind of how it kind of all fits together when you read the book. And here's how we used to teach it. But it's changed. It used to be about four hours that we would teach this. And now it's down to two and a half. It used to be 77 steps. Now it's 40 steps. So it's like a Reader's Digest version of the entire Bible now. It's been cut down. Basically now it's all about the story and the characters and the people. It used to be all about numbers and timelines and years. We would say this was 400 years. We would make a sign with our hands and say stuff like that. It was so many things. That we talk about different locations and places that we say is really not important for people to have to remember. And when we used to teach this, I'm going to show you how we used to teach it. So at least you can see how we used to do it. Okay, so here I want you to do, I want you to point up here at the screen at Israel in the north and say Israel, and then point in the south and say Judah. Okay, now here's how many kings they had. I want you to point in the north again and say 19. Here's how many kings they had in the south, say 20. Let's do that much already, here we go. North, south, Israel, Judah, 1920. You know how many good kings they had in Israel? Zero. Point to that one in the north and say zero. Now point to Judah and say eight. That's how many good kings they had. Now you've just learned about the divided kingdom in about two minutes. Let's see if you can do it again. Ready? North, south, Israel, Judah, 1920, zero, eight. But we don't teach you that anymore. Here's how we do it now. Put your thumbs like this. Mostly bad kings. Do you really need to know all those numbers and all that? No, not necessarily. But I want you to know they're mostly bad. Eight were good, but mostly bad. So that's what's going on with the nation of Israel. Now the, the kingdom is divided. So I want you to see what happened in 1 Kings chapter 9 about Solomon. It says, so Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he planned to do. Then the Lord appealed to Solomon a second time as he had done before at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your petition. I have set this temple apart to be holy. This place you have built where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. That is so amazing. Can you imagine when the people heard that and they read that scroll to them and they've got this amazing structure now where God can come down with his presence over the Ark of the Covenant there in that beautiful 
a ceremonial thing of showing God was with his people in that special way. And that's what happened. But then that starts out great. But later in the same chapter, just a few later verses, it says this. This ain't so great. Let's look at it. But, oh, I don't like that word. If you or your descendants abandon me, and disobey the commands and decrees I've given you. And if you serve and worship other gods, what am I going to do? Watch. I will uproot Israel from this land that I've given them. I will reject this temple that I've made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And you know what's happening right now to Israel. It's becoming a mockery and a ridicule to people all over the world. As people are gathering to support Hamas and the Palestinian cause and marching in the streets and this tiny little area about the size of New Jersey, everybody's ticked off at this little tiny country. All these countries around it and all over the world, people today are doing this very thing that they were going to do, he said, you forgot me. And through this temple, this temple is impressive now. All who pass by will be appalled and gasp in horror. They will ask, why did the Lord do this terrible thing to the land and the temple? In other words, he was prophesying that one day it's going to be destroyed. It won't even be here anymore if the people of God turned away from following him. And they did. Children of Israel walked away from following God. And this is pretty sadly that happened. Here's what happened. The Babylonian Empire came in to ravage the city. They destroyed the temple. They took back many of the artifacts from the temple to Babylon. And they took away the best people with them. The brightest, the handsomest, the prettiest, the most strong and virile. And they took those people back with them all the way to Babylonia and made them Babylonian citizens. For 70 years they were there, living there. That's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, Daniel, these guys, Ezekiel. That's where all these guys went. So now the Jews, they were left with just the riffraff and the few people there. And the city walls had been destroyed. And the temple was gone. This place was a mess. And that took place for 70 years. Now, the Persian army came in. And when the Persian army came in, they conquered Babylonia. And now, they, after a few years, saw all these Jews living in this area saying, oh, we're going to allow you guys to go back to your homeland if you so desire. So he was going to give them a free pass to return. And many of them did. And when they went back, they repaired the city, they built the walls back, and this time they built the temple back again. This temple was built by a man named Zerubbabel. Say that word with me. Zerubbabel, like the name many of you would want to name a child one day, probably. (laughs) Zerubbabel, probably no one here. That wasn't a choice for us either when we named our kids. But this guy built the temple, but here's what's interesting about when he built it. (laughs) When they dedicated this temple... You heard two sounds at the dedication, the Bible says. The Bible says that some people were cheering and shouting. You know why? We had had a temple in 70 years. We got a temple again. This is great. But the old people, of which I am one now, me and my compadres over here, we had seen the original temple. And we looked at this. We said, that's what we got? That don't look like what we had. And the Bible says they wept. And you couldn't hear the difference in the sound of the cheering and the weeping at the same time. It's like going to a football game of South Carolina versus Clemson. Half of them going to be cheering and he's saying, yeah, half of them going to be crying on the way home in their cars. 
That's the sound at the end of any game between two people that don't like each other very much. Well, that's what happened at this dedication of this temple. Zerubbabel built this temple. Pretty wild. Now, many years later, in the New Testament now, that's the only two that were in the Old Testament. And now the New Testament comes on the scene. And now you have Rome in charge of the empire. And King Herod the Great does a huge update on this temple. And it's Herod's temple. It takes 46 years to build this. And it's covered with gold. It's huge. It is absolutely a stunning thing. As King Herod built this, who was a great builder in the Roman Empire of buildings all over Israel when he was here on planet Earth. And it's quite an update. And it was grand. So now we've seen the physical buildings. So the first group of the tale of three temples are those three temples. So that's the first group, actual buildings. Say the word with me, buildings. Buildings. That's the tale of three temples. Now, who's the second temple? The second temple, let's talk about now. And here's an interesting thing. When we see this, it's actually, who is Jesus? Here's what he actually is. Look, he is temple number two. So who's the first temple in the tale of three temples? Buildings. Who's the second temple? Jesus. It's not too hard. We'll try that one more time. Who is this? Buildings. Who's this? Jesus. He's the second temple. What are you talking about? Jesus is the temple. Remember the story? Jesus goes up to the temple at Passover and he sees people cheating and selling people animals for sacrifice and changing their money and ripping them off. And he saw this happening. And what did he do? He turned over the tables of the money changers. And he said to them that my house, my temple shall be a house of prayer, not a a den of thieves. And so he was saying, I am the temple and I am in this physical building that Herod built. But what's an interesting thing about this is this. This is what they said. Look, Jesus said this. Next one. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. What? They exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days? Well, here's an interesting thing. There are actually two different Greek words used about temple here. One, the word temple is a shrine or a holy building temple naos and the other is the dwelling place of deity in other words his own body his own body that's the different greek word used about what jesus said my body if you destroy this body me in three days i'll raise it up he was prophesying his his resurrection after his crucifixion because he was the temple inside this physical building and they didn't see that they didn't understand that now, it's, Jews didn't even get it at all. Later at his trial, they would throw that right back in his face. You remember that? And they said, yeah, he said he, if, if he, he would destroy it. If we take the temple, he would destroy it. He, can't, he, he would rebuild it back in three days, and he can't do that. Now, it's at Easter time that we as believers celebrate the very thing he was talking about. And even at this early stage of his short three-year public ministry on planet Earth, he had the end in mind. The end in mind was this. He was destined to die on a cross. He was destined to die. He was destined to be buried. And then three days later, he was destined to rise. And that's what the gospel is all about. I don't know of a church more excited about the gospel of Jesus than Roy Giese and Outreach Church. It's all about the gospel. It's about sharing the good news because it's so easy for us to forget this. 
and to go about our life and do something and get involved in all this other stuff and just forget that is still the central thing that ought to be on the forehead of our minds and lives when we wake up every day, that he saved me, he delivered me, I'm free now, I can live my life differently because he was the temple. Man, that's a great story. He arose with great joy and thanksgiving. So let's review. Temple number one is what? Buildings. Yeah. What's temple number two? Jesus. And temple number three is, ta-da, me and you. That's pretty good, isn't it? You are God's temple. You are. Now, most people don't wake up in the morning, first thing in the morning, have a cup of coffee and say, praise God, I'm in the temple of God today. That probably is not the first thing out of your lips. It many times is not the same, right, first thing out of my lips either. But it ought to be. You ought to remember, God said, I'm his temple. And you say, well, where does it say that? Glad you asked. First Corinthians 3. Here we go. It says, Paul writing to them, don't you realize that all of you together, remember he's talking to the church at Corinth. Don't you realize that all of you guys gathered here today are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in each and every one of you that make up Outreach Church? Still true today, just like it was then. And it says, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Uh, but you have a certain amount of protection over you that God gives and care for you he gives because he loves his temple and he loves you because you are his temple. Now, the second verse about this, and another one, it just goes a little deeper. It says, run from sexual sin. Hey, that's good news. That's a good idea. I think I'll just linger around and see what this is all about. No, run. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body, not just corporately together, but now you individually, is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you, given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a price. Gospel. Paid for you. Paid for me. Paid for my sin. My goodness. For God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. So my body's a temple. That means I ought to be concerned with how, I, how it looks and what I say and what I, how I think and what I do. Because I am the temple of God. I'm not just a 71-year-old guy who lives in Lyman, South Carolina. There's more to me than that. And there's more to you than what you might think of yourself. And so what I would really love y'all to do is for the next week, when you wake up in the morning for the next seven days, jump out of bed for some of you. That just doesn't happen very often. <laughs> People get out of bed in different ways. <laughs> I'm married to a person that gets out of a bed a little differently than just jumping out of the bed with excitement in her eyes. It's more of a... <sighs> and when you get to be our age, Gary, isn't this true? Gary Wilson, isn't this true? That you've got to make sure before you take the first step, you've thought about it for a little while, right? Okay, this, this leg is going to go there. If I just jump out and start moving, I'll fall flat on my face. <laughs> so I have to say, okay, here we go. Now stand up. Okay. Now I'm up. 
for some of you, before you've had a cup of coffee. You can't think of nothing else. Before you've had some breakfast, you, you're just, you ha- your hair's a mess, you, you hadn't washed. And it's rough on you getting up in the morning, but wh- wherever the time is when you pass from death to life in the morning, wherever that, wherever that mythical place is, and you're thinking clearly, you've got something to eat, you clean yourself up and brush teeth and stuff, and you look decent. Whenever that's happening, I want you to say out loud to God, I am your temple. Let's practice that right now. Let's practice that right now. Ready? Put your hands up like this. Look to God and say, I am your temple. Do that once. You'll, You'll wake up your kids if you say it too loud, so be careful. But just do that for seven days. Why? That will just remind you for a week solid that who, who you really are. And that ought to make a difference with the way I live and what I say and how I work. And, hmm. So maybe this is an important thing. Now, here's an interesting thing. John 14, 17 says this. He dwells with you and he shall be in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. The third temple is made up of flesh and blood, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. This is a profound advance in intimacy at salvation, you and me. At Sinai, people were scared of God. You know, he's he's rumbling on the mountain. And then when Jesus came, hey, we can touch him. We We can talk to him. We can hurt him. He is here with us. We can speak to him clearly. And there was a little bit more intimacy now than there was in the Old Testament. And now here. Jesus indwells your life at salvation and the Holy Spirit also indwells your life at salvation. And when you realize that and know that, that changes everything about you. It does change. It's easy for us to forget it though because we live in the flesh. Our flesh, this human container of my body is not me at all. It's just the container. It's my flesh. All of us have it. But inside me, the actual part that's in me that's amazing is Jesus indwells me and the Holy Spirit indwells me. And when I believe that, a lot of things happen differently in the way I look at life. And it's something I just want to challenge you about. Interesting thing now. Now here's the thing. When you see the Trinity, that's a beautiful picture of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of the tale of three temples too because the Father alone was what the one that was in the buildings he came down. Presence of God was him. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is here. The Son of God is here. Hey, we can meet him, talk to him, see him do miraculous things, choose to follow him. Amazing. But now, Holy Spirit and the presence of God actually indwells me. And that's the Holy Spirit. So you can see how this three temple thing all works together. It was a building. It was in Jesus. And now it's me and you. And that's, a, that's, to me, is an amazing thing. After Jesus' ascension into heaven, now we go back to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, the same flawed and scarce disciple who was running after his death, trying to get away lest they be arrested as well, are different now. They're spirit-filled carriers of the living God. And what will happen is they will change everything. Jesus turned his kingdom over to you and me. And here's what he calls us. I love this expression. He calls us his workmanship. We are his workmanship. That means he's still working on you. You're not finished yet. We like to watch, Becky and I like to watch these HGTV and 
type of shows where they, in 30 minutes, they renovate an entire house from a piece of, <laughs> piece of junk to an amazing mansion. Now, I look around at our house, and I say, Becky, in about 30 minutes, we can make it look like that, apparently, if we just have the tools and the people and the stuff. It takes a little bit longer than that, but I like that show for this reason. A place that can look absolutely horrible can look incredibly beautiful by the end. I've never seen a show yet that gets to the end and say, well, we couldn't do it. Y'all come back next week. It's still a mess. Shows never end like that. So why does your show have to end like that? Why does tomorrow have to be like now, the mess you're in now? You say, I'm in a mess right now. It doesn't have to end like that at all. It can be better. Every day you can grow in your faith because he's still chipping and working and molding and making you. The actual word could also be translated. It's the Greek word poema, P-O-E-M-A, like a, a, po- a beautiful act of poetry. You're God's amazing act of poetry that he's making you and creating you to be absolutely something beautiful and gorgeous to show others. And I love that word. We are his workmanship. So maybe you came in here today, maybe a little bit discouraged, Maybe a little bit, maybe beat up, maybe being a little bit depressed or going through something that nobody else knows about, but you do. And it kind of is pressing down upon you. If that's, if that's true, guess what? You can leave today believing something different. You can have an unwavering hope and an unwavering joy of the goodness of God in your life. And that you are the temple of God. And teach this to your kids too. If you got kids, get your kids to learn to say this and starting to believe this about who there is. Because they're growing up, there's all kinds of stuff thrown at them to push them down. Things on the media and social media and television and movies and stuff like that around them and people and bullies and all kinds of stuff are pushing your kids down all the time. But help them to realize that, no, I'm the temple of God. And I'm the temple of God, and that's not going to hurt me. That's not going to crush me. That's not going to depress me because I know who I am on the inside. And when you start to believe that correctly, it can start your day off and make your day better. Now, here's the thing. The reason that sometimes we don't do this well is because we've got our eyes always looking at the past of where we've been. And Satan loves to throw your past up at you and bring you. Who do you think you are? You remember when you did, and you fill in the blanks. And when that starts entering your mind, it filters down, and you don't think of yourself much as a temple when you're focusing always on your past. Look, your past is past. Or other people, all they do is look to the future. Well, I know I've been a mess here, but I'm, it's some future they don't know they can ever attain. But I, I'm going to go after this and get that and have this and go there, and that's why my life's going to be all about that. No. The Bible says today is the day that God has given you. Let us rejoice and declare it now. This is his day he made. This is where you should be making your focus on is today. I'm waking up. This is who I am. I'm going to live my life. Sure, make some plans for the future. Sure, you can remember sometimes about your past. But don't focus on either one of these two things. It's a one day daily. I, Paul said, I die daily. Why did Paul say that? He's the... One of the greatest Christians to ever live in the history of the world wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He has to die daily? Yes. He had to remember he was a temple of God daily? Yes. If he did, I better do it. Because I ain't nothing like him for sure. 
And that's the good news. What's the good news? Tell the three temples is the good news. What's the first temples in the Bible? Buildings. Who's the second temple? Jesus. Remember, it's Jesus. Who's the third temple? You and me. You and me. We're the third temple. And that's an amazing thing. Last thing I'll tell you is this. People used to come to the temple where God dwelt. That's the thing you had to do. Once a year, you'd come back. I'd have various feasts that you had to go through. Different feast times of the year, you'd gather back at Jerusalem. You had to go where God was. Now the temple that dwells in you and me goes out. The temple goes out. Everywhere you go, the temple now is on the move. It's not in one location anymore where only people that come here can get it. It's you. All the contacts you can make, all the people you can run into, all the situations of personal things that you can go to talk to people and stuff. Let me me just tell you one thing I get to do about being the temple. I work at Jeff Lynch. I've been there now about 10 years. I'm the company pastor there at an appliance store. And it fulfills a lifelong dream I had since a 10-year-old boy to one day just get to grow up and be the chaplain, a company pastor of an appliance store. It's a blazing vision God gave me as a 10-year-old. I'm finally getting to live this dream life that I took so long to get to. I had no desire whatsoever to do this job. Zero. I was a pastor of churches, different churches for many, many years. And our church did a little Bible study for Mr. Lynch at the store. We would send different staff members over there to help him out because the guy that passed away that was the company pastor guy. And so eventually, Rich Butler, who had taken over the church when I stepped down, he looked at me and said, Steve, why don't you just start doing that every week and volunteering for Mark? I said, sure. So over to Jeff Lynch I go and start speaking for him for free, volunteering every week. Here's back here at the church. This, the church says, hey, we're going to make some cuts in salary, and part of that salary is going to be you. Okay. And we're going to make several of our employees now go half time. And you can still stay here and do this work, you know, but we're going to have to cut your salary, and three or four other people had the same news delivered to them. I said, okay. So I went back to Mark Lynch and said, I don't know that I can be able to keep up this job. I might have to look for another part-time job. I just wanted you to know I may not be able to come in every Wednesday anymore. Here's exactly what he said. He said, hmm, how much did you lose in salary of what you need to make now to make it up? He gave me a little piece of paper. I wrote it down, slid it back across his desk. He picked it up and went like this. (laughs) He said, we can do better than that. I said, really? He said, we'll pay you to become the company pastor here. He says, go home, talk to Becky and pray about it. This is exactly what I did. God said yes. (laughs) That's what I did. (laughs) Becky, I got a job. More than we're making losing what we lost. This is a good job. He's paid me and taken good care of me for the last 10 years I've been there. And I love him and I love this job. Now, you know what it allows me to do? Remember, I've been always a pastor in a church. That means I'm under some kind of a bubble, a Christian bubble most of the time, around Christian people all the time. And now I'm in a company 
We're all going to have people come into our store that aren't Christian at all. Some are, but many of them aren't. And so I have cards. The cards say Steve Keys, company pastor. I dress just like the salesman. I have a shirt on that looks just like them. I can walk out amongst the store whenever we're busy, and I try to do this at least once every day. Here's what I ask God. God, give me a divine appointment today with somebody that walks through those doors that I can help, pray for, bless, encourage. And so I walk around. I see you over there working with uh, the washer and dryers. I say, can I help you? Light a washer and dryer. You want a top load or a front load? Here we go. I'll go over there, and I can get you committed to buy X, Y, Z. And then once you're committed to buy, I look at you and say, I can't really sell this to you. I hold out my card. I'm just a company pastor. And Mark says, if they ask you any spiritual question, you can get into any spiritual conversation with them you want. If they just say, okay, just walk away. Not once in 10 years has anybody said, okay. They all say, wow, what does this mean? Is this a Christian store? What does a company pastor do? I said, come here, I'll show you our chapel. I walk up over, I show our big room where we teach and do our chapel. And sometimes they're believers and they just, that just, they just light up when I tell them this. It's like we've hooked a customer for life now that they know this. But a lot of times they say, a company pastor, hmm, can you pray for my daughter? She has leukemia. I said, let's slip over behind outdoor furniture over here. Come over here. We'll <laughs> spend some time. So I get to pray for people. Other guy came in to buy a bed. I helped him buy a bed. He came back, and I, 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 I gave him my little card, company pastor. He said, hey, I, I need help I, with the bed. <laughs> I just helped you find the one you like. No, no, no. I think when I, I'm getting this bed because my wife is leaving me and taking the one out of our house today. And I love her. I want to see it reconcile reconcile with her. And I said, well, let's go over here. I went over. I counseled with this guy about an hour. And he left just weeping and crying and buying the mattress and giving me a hug like we've been lifelong friends. And he said, I'm going to do everything I can, the power of God, to see myself humbled so my wife will return to me. All I am doing is being the temple of God. It's no big deal. You wouldn't even know this. If you came in our store, you wouldn't even know I'm doing this. And that's why I'm telling you. You say, well, I'm not a full-time pastor. You can, do you ever see people at the grocery store, at a restaurant, on the street, a neighbor, somebody? Somebody that you can come in contact with, you can become that temple that they might need. And so that's my prayer for you today. Open your hands. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Father, for every hand that's open, I pray they would realize as they leave these rooms to say these words out loud. Say them with me, please. I am the temple of God. Again, I am the temple of God. And may that be so true in their lives that they just ooze out the Holy Spirit upon everybody they come in contact with. And I pray we'd have a new attitude as we leave this room today. I pray for your continued blessing on Outreach Church, Pastor Roy, Patty, and all of the team that you would use us for your glory today. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.